Hello and welcome back into the Seconds Flat Running podcast presented by Run In. We're glad to have you back with us once again. And we are in the fourth installment of our half marathon and marathon training series. This is mile 13.1. We have reached the half marathon mark. And tonight we're going to get into race prep for your 13.1 or 26.2. Those last minute touches, the stuff in the days and weeks leading up to the race, the race itself, and a little bit about after the race. So we'll discuss the taper, the mysterious, mischievous taper. Nutrition for your race before, during, and after. Some last minute tidbits for that night before. What you might want to consider doing for your warm up. Some pacing and strategy ideas. And then a little bit about recovery afterward. Benjamin, welcome in. Thanks, man. How are you? Ah, I feel so selfish. Every episode, it's Ben. How are you? Travis, how are you? I don't know that I could be better. That's great. I am blissful. I am 10 weeks out from a marathon and happily training at high mileage. And it gets me a little excited to think about some stuff that happens at the end of the cycle that we're going to talk about tonight when you start to really hone in on your race. There's some similarities here for 13.1 and 26.2, but we'll try to to distinguish as well. Let's go ahead and dive into the taper. That time period before your race when you tend to cut back on the volume of work you're doing in order to freshen up the leggies and the mind for your performance. Ben, let's start with your experience taper at some shorter distances because obviously you've done this a lot over your race and career in college at 5k 8k distances in particular so we'll touch on those a little bit for everybody because that actually is for me a good segue into some longer distance tapers what does that look like for you in your recent past yeah so i've been fortunate through my running to have several different coaches and they've all approached this and very different ways from not ever tapering to cutting everything drastically. So I personally don't fancy a big taper. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just a guy who needs that muscle tension in his legs. You're just a guy who needs a girl who needs muscle tension in his legs. Isn't that a country song? (laughs) No, he's a guy with a girl. Anyways, I think there's three variables to consider and things you would be limiting through a taper. Um, You have the frequency of workouts, Mm -hmm. the length of workouts, and how much work you're doing in the workout. Yes. The actual work. For me, I need that frequency to stay on a schedule. If I was to lighten up on anything, it would be the actual intensity during the sessions. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. When you say you like the frequency to remain consistent, Are you referring to the frequency of your harder efforts, your harder workouts, the frequency of total number of times you're running over the course of a week, or possibly both? A little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I want week 15 of a buildup to look that different of week 10 in terms of structure. Mm I know my body really well, and it gets in a groove like that. Oh, I know it well, too, and it is in the groove. If I'm used to, say, 
a 10-day cycle looking like long run, workout, progression run, tempo run. Over the course of that 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to just the last 10 days for me go long run, take a week, one hard workout, race. Yeah. I need that stability. Yeah. I would agree with you on that point. I also agree with you on the frequency of workouts, of harder work being relatively similar. We may cut, for me, may cut frequency overall of how many times you run. So for example, if you run one less day in your taper, particularly in the last week, I think for some people that works uh, as a way to dial back on their volume. I think that for the shorter distances, I would go a little different route than you on the intensity. I still do like to dial up some intensity a little bit more. And so we'll decrease the volume of work within a session. So for example, let's say that you're training for a 5K, 8K, 10K, and you did a lot of work in that VO2 max pace range or 5K pace range, and maybe you were doing four by a mile or something like that. We might get off of that and not do four miles of of quantity. It, It might only be a couple K or 3K of work broken into increments with more rest in between, And we may actually dial the pace up a little bit more. Now, I might not do that as much for a half marathon or marathon taper. And so that's why I like this as a segue because I think the 5K, 10K training cycle taper that some of our listeners may have done before might look a little different than the half marathon or marathon taper they're getting into. In the case of half marathon and marathon tapering or what I really prefer to call it peaking because tapering just assumes we're doing less and we might just be doing something different and priming ourselves for competition. So in half marathon and marathon peaking, I tend to, for myself and the athletes that I coach, do less work that is faster than race pace than I might during the peaking phase of a 5k or 10k. So I do tend to like a little more pace specificity, running at half marathon or marathon pace, and not going faster than that too much. So for example, in the course of a marathon peaking cycle, and we'll get into how long that lasts, but I might suggest not running faster than half marathon pace as an example. That might be fast enough that would be the most you need to do for your quality work. Then taking that, increasing the rest, and decreasing the segments in which you do that work. So let's say you've been doing tempo runs or long tempo intervals. Maybe you want to dial it back. uh, And as an example, you are going to do an alternating pace fartlek style of work where you do a minute, for example, at half marathon pace and a minute easy just to kind of bounce back and forth and do that a few times. Maybe it's only 10 cycles. So you're getting 10 minutes of half marathon pace work, whereas earlier in your training block, you may have been doing two, three, even four times that amount of half marathon pace work in preparation for the race. So I think you and I differ a little bit there, but I think we generally have agreement on 
we want to feel fresh, but we don't want to completely get rid of everything we've done that's made us successful. And it's easy to just think, oh, I need to just take a break and rest completely, and you dial back too much. And I think that's particularly true for two groups of people. I think the people who are on a really low mileage plan, you better not taper too much. Right. Because you can really overdo it. So a real slight taper there. You might stop running. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the person on a really high mileage plan might feel stale from cutting back too much. To that point, I also want you to realize that don't worry if when you cut back to freshen up, you actually feel a little worse at first. I think there is the cumulative fatigue that has built over time in your training that you need to bounce back from and it's going to take some time to recover. You don't need to feel perfect at the beginning of your peaking cycle. You want it to be on the actual race day. Also, don't worry if you feel some little nicks and things that seem like injuries that show up. It's because your body has adapted to running more miles and it feels a little differently when you cut back on your mileage. So to address a couple of the terms you just used, I think this is really important with a more casual runner. The term tapering has become synonymous with peaking, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people in their marathon buildups have like a half marathon race built into their schedule. And they may want to taper, or maybe a better word for it would be dial back Mm -hmm. their training like you've used. What would you say is the difference between that mid-cycle dialing back for that hit and then the end of the cycle taper? So I think that if you are doing a half marathon in the course of your marathon training cycle, or it could be a 10K as well, but something that's a decent distance that you want to run well. My first piece of advice would be consider attempting that race without any kind of cutback and see what you can do in the course of some high mileage work. That might be a better indicator to you for future marathon success. If I was going to dial back, to use the phrase you just used there, I would be considering a one-week dial. (laughs) What do I want to say there? (laughs) I would be considering a one-week cutback, and honestly, it might even be a little less than that. I might shift my workout. So let's say your half marathon is on a Saturday. And again, this is for the person who is on, let's say you're on a 20-week marathon plan, and in like week 10 or 12, you want to try to run a half marathon well. It's a Saturday race day, hypothetically. I might try to move my work up so that, let's say, maybe you did a long run the weekend before. That's okay. But I might want to put a workout on, say, Tuesday to kind of front load my week there. And then maybe Thursday or Friday, I do something lighter and I have some strides in it. I have a short, very short amount of distance that I'm working here. Something that's very easy pace. And then I'm putting in some strides at the end. And I would describe these as goal race pace strides. Strides are a a mechanism you can use where you could dial them up to, at times in your training, 3K or or two mile or even mile pace. And you can use these to work on some neuromuscular benefits and some turnover without risking an extended period of work at that pace. And you could put long recoveries in between. Here I might slow them down to race pace to really get the appropriate muscle tension that I'm preparing for that race with. So I might do five or six of them for 20 seconds at half marathon goal pace, maybe the day before the race, 
two days before, depending on what you need, with a good amount of time in between. Give yourself a minute. Maybe you're just walking around for a minute. They don't want to be hard aerobic work. You just want to work on feeling right at that pace. A great taper workout that I like that you could use here, or you could use it at shorter distances as well. I love the one lap on a track or 400 meters out on the road or on a measured trail at your goal race pace as the last thing you could do it right the day before. So maybe you have a half marathon, you put in 400 at that goal pace. So hypothetically, let's say you're trying to get out and run eight minute miles in your half marathon, two minute, one lap, know what it feels like. You're trying to run six minute miles in your half marathon, you're gonna go out and run one lap at 90 seconds. So yeah, that's how I, a 24-year-old male, or you, a age-to-be-disclosed <laughs> male, uh, would taper. So how does the taper look different between women and men? Yes. I, or does it? I think it does. I think particularly at shorter distances, but this also is true to some degree at the half marathon, and maybe then again even less at the marathon. But I think for women... I find the most success when they taper a little less than men. And it's a pretty simple idea why they benefit from the testosterone that comes with the workouts where you push yourself a little harder. And we don't necessarily want to completely eliminate that from their training cycle. Keeping both the volume and intensity a little bit higher for a female may be beneficial as compared to the male who naturally has higher testosterone levels. So I've had success with cutting women back just a little bit less than with men in the last weeks of the cycle, particularly at 5K and 10K, but I think it also is true at the half marathon. Again, maybe more so than in the marathon. I think the more aerobic the event becomes, and these are all aerobic, but the more aerobic and less power-based it becomes, probably the less significant this concept is. The one we've left out here that's critical for folks, how long is this taper period? How long does the peaking phase of your macro cycle, your long-term approach to your race, how long does it last? Yeah, well, I've been tapering for six months now. You're on a you're on a um, pretty severe taper. Yes. I don't know that there is a fresher runner in the region right now. No, I've definitely peaked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, with that said, six months might be a bit much. I think that most people would probably benefit from, in fact, training over that course of time, really putting some work in and actually getting better. For a half marathon or marathon, most people look at a two or three week taper at the end. I think for the marathon, it tends to be bigger for folks. I have benefited in my experience from somewhere around two weeks for me. That just feels right. I am a runner who benefits from generally fairly high volume. I don't have a lot of speed going on. And so I find that if I drop that off too soon on the volume, it impacts me negatively. As a percentage of my running, I, I like to think about it this way. I, I've mentioned that I'm 10 weeks out. 
I want to be building now where I'm getting around 100% of the highest mileage week I'll be at. And I'll try to hold that for a little while and then I'll cut back. You know, you got to maybe have a down week in there, pop back up a little bit. Once I get near about four weeks out, I'm not going any higher at that point on my mileage. So for me, I've found that at the, the three week out, it'll just be a ever so slight cutback. I'm probably running 80% or so of my peak weekly mileage in that week. I'm going to get a little bit more of a cutback then in two weeks out. So this may be for me like 60% of the mileage. And then I'm going to cut it even a little bit more week of the race. Hypothetical person who's doing 50 miles of training for their peak week that person may then three weeks out under my plan be running like 40 miles. And then maybe you're in the 30s two weeks out. So you've cut back, but it's not just disappearing. You might be running one less day in your week as a way to cut this mileage. You may also, the the easiest thing that a lot of folks are doing is they are decreasing the volume within each run. So if your easy runs were five miles before, they might be down to four, but you're also going to cut back your long run. That one week out long run is going to be significantly less. I often cap it at 90 minutes. And again, that's in a marathon training cycle. And then you also might be considering a cutback in density. If you're a more serious runner and you are doubling at all, you may consider trimming that, but some other folks like to just keep the double in and decrease both of them mm-hmm. and use the value of just getting the blood circulating and shaking the legs out and doing that kind of thing while they're doubling. For a lot of folks, three weeks of cutback is, is better. It depends, again, on what type of runner you are, I think, and you're going to have to experiment with this a little bit. But I think when you get into four or five more weeks on out, it's probably just too much for a marathon. And when you get into a week or less, it's probably just not enough. And so I have found for me that somewhere in this like 15 day range is is pretty nice. Half marathon though, I'm going to cut back a little bit less. I don't peak for half marathons very often. I would really like to have a cycle where that's my target. I tend to do them in the process of marathon training. With the people I've coached for the half marathon as their target race, maybe it's a week to two weeks, but 10 days has felt kind of right for some of those folks too. So it's again a little less, but don't overdo it. If you're a real low mileage runner, don't just disappear from running like someone sitting at this table. And if you're a real high mileage person, say you've been 100 plus miles a week, You don't want to just drop down to 40 or 50 miles. You might be responding really well to 100, 120. And some people think that the taper just takes out all this work that they've done. If you're rolling along really well, let's just cut back a little bit and focus on doing what we were already doing, but doing it better and staying fresh. Now, there is another variable here to peaking that we haven't gotten to that is incredibly significant. Benji? Slumber. Slumber. Sleep. What do you get on an average night of sleep? Now or when I'm training? Let's do both. 
Okay, when I'm training, let's see if I went to bed at nine and woke up at six. No, oh, no, we're doing math. Talking about nine hours of sleep. That was very well done. Yes. Would nine be pretty typical for you if you're training? I would say so. Yeah. Now it's more like seven. But. You're on the Shalane Flanagan plan where she gets to bed at nine every night and always wakes up at six. Yeah. You two have that and your cookbooks and our your, blonde ponytails. Your blonde ponytails and stunning good looks Gosh. in common. Okay, so nine if you're training, that's a pretty good number. The more you can get, the better. And that's not counting naps. All of them. I probably nap every day for yes. at least 30 minutes when I'm training. Per nap. Sometimes we're talking <laughs> six, ten, even a dozen naps during your day. It just depends on the weather. Yes. It was a good nap day today. It was. Also, during high, really high mileage training, you have to be getting a ton of sleep. Yes. It is outside of the running as important as any other variable and a number like nine hours is really good and that can be hard for some people to, to get with a crazy busy schedule i think the best advice is get to bed as early as you can mm-hmm. and in the fall you know this is a fall marathon series we're doing here in the fall it starts to get dark earlier it's a little easier to do i would love to at my peak mileage try to get if i can get to 10 hours oh well-rested champion yeah you better believe it i would love to get to 10 and every once in a while i'll do that it's just hard it's it's hard to come up with that much time in the day and especially when you have other responsibilities in the taper when you're not running as much it can get a little easier to get that sleep in you don't have to wake up so early don't get the extra sleep get the rest let your body recover it's it's this compensation period now where you're bouncing back from all the hard work you've put in you're getting your body ready for the race and the recovery occurs while you're asleep plus bonus factor here the sleep is doing something else for you that's really important helping you stay away from getting sick and that's the worst possible thing at the end of a cycle being active is great for staying healthy But after a certain number of miles, probably 40, 50 per week, you actually increase your odds of getting sick because of how hard your body is working. And so getting more sleep in that peaking phase could be really, really valuable to you. Any other peaking taper thoughts? Are you ready to move on? Let's do it. Okay, let's go to nutrition. We know you have swung wildly your pendulum has gone from the fast food diet to the vegetarian diet to all points in betwixt where do you stand right now as a man who is not training in your diet i like to think i eat pretty healthy still doing pretty well with it yeah uh not vegetarian anymore okay wow that was Uh, since working at Southern Wesleyan, I have access to a wonderful hamburger bar. Oh, well, you can't say no to that. I can't. No. I don't blame you one bit on that. But you're doing well enough that when you get back into training, you can swing right into it with this. And so that's good. We've gotten away from some of the worst habits. And practicing good habits is really important through your nut- nutrition throughout the cycle. And we are going to have a local celebrity sports nutritionist join the show soon. So for tonight, we're going to stay away from some of the big picture sports nutrition stuff and focus it in more on how it relates to your long run and to your race. I think that 
practicing your nutrition, meaning practicing what you want to do during the race, before and during the race, is really important on some of your long runs in the training cycle. Having a plan of starting with maybe you don't know what flavors of gels you want to use or even what type of product you want to use. So experimenting with those things a little bit could be really valuable to you. Then you can lock in that flavor or that consistency that you like. You'll find pretty quickly, am I a gel kind of person? Am I a whole food person? Something more like we've talked about raisins as an example. Am I a liquid nutrition person? That tends to be my favorite, if at all possible. It can be hard during a race if you can't carry enough with you to get it handed off to you unless you're an elite runner. Unless you got the guy Kipchoge had at Berlin who has Uh, fired the heck up to pass those bottles. I really like a liquid nutrition product like a Tailwind or a Morton that you can use easily just kind of sip from a bottle and you don't have to fight down a chew or a gel. But for a lot of people, the chews and the gels are great and I've used both during races as well. So practicing that during the long run is really significant, but also practicing the night before a long run slash night before a race nutrition is really good too. Benji, night before a race, is there a meal you like to go to historically you've had success with? Yeah, so my uncle runs an Italian restaurant in downtown Fountain Inn. Please, please give the name. Uh, Cacino 100. Yes, I believe that was on the best of the upstate 2018. Am I correct? It, you are correct. Oh, that's fine dining in Fountain Inn. Go ahead. And anyways, they have awesome wood-fired pizzas. Oh. And I don't eat cheese. So I go there and I get a wood-fired pizza, which is just sauce pepperoni, green peppers, and onions. Ooh, I pick off his cheese because I love dairy and I eat it for him. I actually think that pizza for some people can, that can work. Um, no, it has to be the right pizza. Yeah. You can't have Little Caesars and well, what you could. No offense but. to the people at Little Caesars, sorry, pizza, pizza. I think though that something that's pretty simple right? You may not want a ton of greasy stuff on there. As an example, for what you just said, you have the the carbs there in, in the crust and you got tomato sauce. So that's good right there. I might not do the onions because they might not sit as well for me as they do for you, but it's obviously something you're comfortable with. And to me, that might be the number one piece of advice for your night before long run nutrition and your practicing long run nutrition familiarity can breed success. Doing things that you know you can handle well the night before and during the race, that's going to build confidence. You know your routine. It's one variable you can just eliminate. I don't mind pizza as well. Uh, I might keep it simple also like a margarita pizza, something like that, maybe just a slice or two. I am fine with a pasta as well for the night before. Again, something simple. Don't load up the Alfredo. All right, don't get the, the four cheese sauce. Don't freak out about the Alfredo. Come on. <laughs> but a simple red sauce or maybe something with a little bit of meat in the sauce is, is probably fine for a, for a lot of people. Also, you may decide to go to a route where you go like rice. Uh, maybe even fish. Some people who are really comfortable with that, just given the, the protein, if you've been, you know, if you think about it, 
race week, if you're loading carbs all week, it might not be that necessary to have that last meal be a huge carb load, particularly at shorter distance races. They, they might be more valuable for the marathon to have more carbs. But there's um, no secret meal. There's no. no secret meal. It's about what works for you. Yeah, and I wouldn't freak out if you're not able to get your hometown pizza. Mm-hmm. From experience, I know the night before my 10K PR, I had Bojangles, a two liter of Mountain Dew, and then a box of Sour Patch Kids because I didn't even think I was going to race. That's absolutely filthy. I would not recommend anyone listening try that. What did you have at Bojangles? Uh, Just a chicken biscuit, Cajun chicken biscuit. Oh, Cajun chicken. I hear that's the go-to at Bojangles. It is. And if you think that's filthy, you should have seen the 10K. Oh, I'm I'm not getting anywhere near any of the items that you just listed there, and we are not recommending that for our, our listeners. But I am. We will say, don't freak out about a little change, but just try to have something you're familiar with. And also remember that practicing your nutrition during a long run, say taking a gel every 45 minutes during a really long training run, may help you train your stomach to a degree to increase what you can consume and what you're comfortable taking. Some folks will say, I can't do the gels, it doesn't work, but they haven't given themselves time to practice. For some people, it doesn't, and they're right, but don't immediately say that because you had one bad experience. You have to work at this just like you train all the other aspects here. With that said, like you said, the Bojangles thing, which is ridiculous. I also think to tie back into sleep that we just mentioned, the night before sleep for me is never any good. I think Boston this year, I woke up at like 3.30 and I thought, I don't even want to be in bed anymore. I'm just ready to go. So if you've slept well leading up to it, it's not going to break it on one night. You know, that night, two nights out is probably more important to get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some truth to that with your night before meal as well. If you've eaten well leading up, one meal is probably not make or break, but you may want to stay away from things that you know aren't going to work for you. Keep it simple. Keep it familiar. We also might want to think about eliminating some things in the weeks leading up. We have discussed ad nauseum my sweet tooth on previous episodes. I very diligently, if a race really matters to me in the weeks leading up, I'm going to cut as much as possible the sugar, the chocolate, all that kind of stuff. Week of nutrition is, I think, a really important thing that that folks kind of get lost in and they think it's really about just like the day before what we do, but it's so much earlier. And so, Benji, what are some of those week of variables that we can control that get overlooked? Can you think of something? Your amount of intake of several different things. You have your salt intake, carbs, the fluids you're taking in. You said just sticking with simple food and then familiar foods. Yeah, so let's break down some of those that you mentioned there. Uh, we got to hydrate. We got to be prepared. You have to understand with that, with increased carbs and increased fluid intake for a marathon or half marathon, and particularly at 26.2 miles, you're probably going to put on a little bit of weight. That's okay. You're using it. You know, you want to be at a good race weight, just feel healthy leading up. And if you put a couple pounds on, it's okay. It's to be used during the race. One thing that I really like to focus in on here is 
get my hydration up early in the week, get used to that over an extended period of time. I don't want to just the last two days try to hammer a ton of water. People and flood their system. Yes, you're up all night going to the bathroom, one, and you're flushing out all the other things you need, too. I like to, let's say your race is 7 a.m. I like to, by lunch the day before, switch away from just using water. At that point, I'm drinking very little water now. I am trying to get a drink that has some sort of electrolytes in it, maybe something with some carbs. I'm not much of a Gatorade guy because of the sugar, but maybe that works for you. Maybe it's a Gatorade, a Powerade, an all sport if you really want to get adventurous. A Mountain Dew. And stop it. Maybe <laughs> another drink like a Cytamax type of thing. Uh, a simpler thing like a Propel from Gatorade that just has some electrolytes in it might be good. Or um, you could do the noon tablets with electrolytes as well. The salt loading is really big. And, and again, that goes back to flushing stuff out of your system. When you sweat a lot, you're going to sweat out a lot of salt. So we had, we've had we had better weather here lately. And then this morning, the heat cranked up a little bit again and the humidity was up. Dew point was high. We went back above 70 on the dew point this morning. And after a couple days respite, back into that for one last blast of summer indian summer here we come and so i went out for uh, a long challenging fartlek workout this morning and at the end i kind of wiped my face with my singlet second flat singlet i know you were wondering nice plug thank you i wiped my face with my singlet and i could just kind of taste the salt and sometimes during a really hard summer training run you'll see the salt deposits like on your face when you finish running right we want to make sure we don't flush all that salt out because that's the thing you're losing so much of during the race you can load up on salt during the week and that's actually why pizza if it's something you're comfortable with and is simple for you and you know you can handle five days out it might be a great thing for you to have you might want to if you're cooking pasta just put a little more salt in that water while it's boiling you may want to get away from just drinking water and get some stuff that is going to put sodium, potassium, magnesium back into your system. You may want to even use a salt tablet, um, depending on the weather that you're getting into. I know when I lived in Florida, we did that a lot. Just It would get so hot and humid in the summer. And I would also want to consider how much of these electrolytes I'm losing while running some people just naturally sweat a lot more than others. And you want to consider that while laying out your nutrition plan of what you do during the race. And another week of little thing to think about here is maybe it's bananas. Maybe you need to get comfortable eating those. And that might be something I use for breakfast before a race. Like been a morning of race day meal. What's kind of a staple that you might eat? Bojangles is closed. Oh, no. The Mountain Dew shipment didn't come in. We don't race. Yeah, we probably call it off, but for some reason they decide to keep running. What's your race day go-to? Yeah, uh, it honestly, for me, it depends how early the race is Mm -hmm. in the morning. If it's like a later 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. or after race, uh, that's actually the only time I'll eat. Mm. Uh, But that'll look like a piece of toast and a peach. Okay, so we got something simple with the toast. You got some carbs there. Fruit, for a lot of people, can work well. I would just say make sure if you're going to fruit, you limit the amount of fiber. 
So fruit that has skin on it often involves fiber. Like I wouldn't eat an apple right beforehand. Okay, so that's that's something for people to consider. The comment you made about not being much of a breakfast person if the race is is early. I know there's folks like that, and so if you if you are listening in that type of person where you don't really want to eat breakfast, I would make two points. First, I try to make sure I get up really early if I am going to eat breakfast. I want a few hours before the race, so let's say it's a 9 a.m. race. I'd like to be eating breakfast in that 6 or 6.30 window. That breakfast would be pretty simple. Mine might be toast, like you said, Maybe put some peanut butter or honey on it, maybe a banana, maybe some raisins. Uh, another option I like a lot is dried cereal, little O's, like a Cheerios, maybe honey nut flavor for me. But the other thing you can do here is if you don't want to eat breakfast, okay, but you need to get some energy going into this because yeah, we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about really long distance here that you need to be prepared for and you want to have a little bit of energy store to go into it before you get to your first nutrition stop. So you could do a couple things. You could be a person who takes a gel beforehand and you could take a gel even right before the start, maybe 20 minutes out from the start, you could take a gel or some chews. You could take uh, some liquid nutrition with you to the line. So this was my approach in my last marathon where I knew I had to be on a bus and then we got sent to the corral really early. And so I had some Morton in a water bottle that I shook up and I just kind of sipped on it a little bit. I kind of had a buffet. I got into the very back seat of the bus to take me out to Hopkinton. I had my buffet laid out before the Boston race with my, with my cereal I could graze on a little bit and just feel comfortable. And I'm not eating a lot of any of it. And I took the Morton right to the line and took a few sips right at the end just to make sure I had something in me. So if you're not going to be a breakfast person, you might want to work on your race fuel right before the race to get some stuff in you like a gel, a chew. Some folks are gonna wanna do their morning coffee like they normally do. Again, make sure you don't do that too close to race time. Make sure you have plenty of time beforehand. Now I feel like I'm a case study in what not to do in this topic, but before my first marathon, my only marathon, a race, uh, I actually woke up, it was a 6 a.m. start, it was about 3.30. When I woke up, I half of a Chipotle burrito bowl oh, had a cup of coffee just so I could get everything out of my system okay, as well. Now that... I knew that I would be able to go to the restroom before the run. I was terrified that I would have to like use the restroom several times during the race. Yes. I never had to. See, okay, that actually does have value. And there's a group of people who their whole goal is to just finish their race at 13.1 or 26.2. And for those folks where time is not important, making a stop at the porta potty is not a huge deal, right? You might not feel comfortable, though. You don't want to have to feel like you have to stop a bunch of times. But for the person chasing a time, you really don't want to have to stop. So making sure that you can clear your system beforehand is really valuable. Um, And so for a lot of folks, They'll take the coffee, right, because that's what they're used to to help accomplish that goal. I would say another way at this that I also like and I think has great value for your race, specifically if you're chasing a time, is to wake up and do the morning shakeout, Mm. right? So I'm skipping Mm -hmm. ahead a little bit here on what you do for your warm-up, but it does kind of tie into the last comment that you made. 
I like a brief shakeout, really slow, just shuffling around before a marathon, two, maybe three hours in advance. Maybe it is five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, whatever you need. It's slow. It's, it's slower than your normal everyday pace. That can help get things moving for you so yeah. that if you're not a coffee person or you're just worried about making stops at the bathroom, that could be valuable. That's why it's called shakeout. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. I don't actually think that's true, but yes. And, and it also, again, could have some physiological value for you in prepping for the race too as part of your warm-up. Okay, now it's time for your race or it's time for your practice run in a long run, long quality workout. When and how often do we take nutrition? That is the critical piece that you need to practice in those long runs so you can figure out what works for you. First of all, I would say be aware of what they offer at your race. Most races, especially the big ones, are going to let you know what's on the course at their aid stations. Is it water? Is it water and Gatorade? Is it those drinks plus some sort of gel or actual food, in the case often more for uh, full marathons? And be aware of what they are serving. And know not to take that, most likely unless you've tried it before. Don't make the mistake of just grabbing the flavor that sounds really good that you've never put in your system before on race day. You just don't want to do anything new on race day. I do not trust an aid station on a course, half marathon or marathon, for anything except water. Gosh, yeah. I want to control everything else. So if they are not providing a fuel source that I like, I need to do one of two things. I need to pack it with me, or I need to have someone who can hand it to me. And that becomes easier in smaller races where it's more strung out and it's easier for fans to get up close. But if you're doing Chicago or New York this fall, uh, Marine Corps, races like that where it's a little harder for people to get up on the course at multiple spots, you might need to pack it with you. So you have to decide if you're someone who's using a pack, using a fuel belt. For me, chasing a time, I don't want those things. So I'm trying to... Maybe get some things that I can just put in my little back pocket of my shorts or that I can get handed off to me. So as I mentioned earlier, I prefer a liquid nutrition. In that case, I don't want to carry bottles with me the whole way. If you're able to and your goal is, again, just finishing the race or maybe racing it in a less fast time, for you, carry those bottles so you can have them with you but I might just try to get them handed off to me when possible. Next aspect of this is how often am I gonna take these, all right? Where are they happening within the course? So if you took something at or right before the start, again, I don't know if I'd be taking it right at the gun. Give yourself a few minutes here, 15, (laughs) 20 minutes out if you're sipping something or taking a gel. You can probably wait longer into the race if you've done that. For me, if I've done my breakfast several hours before, I've probably put a little bit more fuel in me, so that's gonna last, but it's also been a few hours. So I might get into the fuel a little bit earlier. Some people will use kilometer markers on the course, all right, so maybe it's every five to 10K they're thinking about getting into some fuel. 
Uh, maybe it's at X number of miles. I would try to think about it this way in my marathon experience. And I do have a little bit more experience on the nutrition than the Chipotle and coffee experience of my, my colleague here. I tend to think about making sure I get something at least within the first hour. Maybe it's 45 minutes for you. At that point, I want to hit, let's say you're, you're taking a, a goo or a honey stinger gel. We're going to hit a packet of those. And then we're going to calibrate from there on out. Some people will stay on an every 45-minute schedule. Some people will go as much as every 30 minutes with nutrition after that first 45. I like to take this stuff right before I get to a water station so that in case I just need to rinse out even in my mouth and just spit and get rid of it so that I can kind of clear the flavor or if I need to get a little bit of water to help digest. I like to go to something in like I start with it in like the 8 to 10 mile mark range. Now, if I had easy access to just small amounts of liquid nutrition, I would probably do it about every 5K. And that was kind of the plan that Kipchoge was on in Berlin as frequently as he got his bottles. But if I could get that more frequently and not have to take down a whole gel and just sip on a little bit of a liquid nutrition, I, I would do that. But if you don't have that, that ability... It is a luxury for most of us unless you're carrying it with you. If you're not carrying it with you, I might hit it at mile 8 to 10. And then let's say I've just got some gels that I'm pulling out of my pocket. I might try to stack them a little closer then. I might hit them again at maybe, depending on how many you take, I might go again at 15 and 20. Most folks probably are going to want a little more than that. So I might go at 14, let's say I did eight, and I might go at like around 14, and, and I might squeeze them in even closer and go again at say 17 and, or 20. For most folks, what you can figure out is to try to kind of divide them out so that you have enough fuel plus one that you have with you, meaning I wanna have extra fuel, rather than not enough, right? I'd rather end with one extra gel in my pocket at the end of the race. I also said you might want to stack them closer together kind of mid-race because it takes a little time for the fuel to settle in and for it to work. You might also want to have another one where you go to it at 20 or 22 and kind of get that last kick. This is where a lot of folks will go to something that maybe has caffeine in it. Like I couldn't use caffeine at the beginning of the race because I'm not a huge caffeine person to begin with. That's just going to mess with my stomach a little too much. Now, if you're a person who drinks coffee every day, that might be a little bit easier for you to handle. Let me simplify again to review what we just talked about. Make sure you have plenty of nutrition with you. Don't be afraid to have one more serving than what you think you'll need. Don't trust the course to provide what you need, be ready to have it yourself or for someone to give it to you, and have a plan that you work out while practicing in long runs of how frequently you take your nutrition. Every 45 minutes is often a really great baseline for a bunch of different people, and that is often what will be recommended by some of the nutrition brands. But what you did before, the entire week before, the night before, and the morning of is going to dictate how much you need and when you need it. Now, if you have loaded up on all this stuff and sodium and carbohydrates and you do a breakfast and you take some fuel right beforehand, 
at the first 5k mark, you probably don't need to splurge and hammer three goos. <laughs> it's just excessive. But I do think that water, regardless of how you feel every few miles, is probably a good idea. Regardless of the conditions, at least getting a sip of some water, even if it feels like, oh, hey, it's not a hot day, you still could need that later on. And again, if you have a liquid nutrition product that you can take, like a Tailwind or a Morton, instead of just water, that's great during the race too. And I would just say, just try to be consistent with it as possible. Remember, just taking water for the average runner over the course of this long distance is probably not going to be enough. Now, in a half marathon, it very well may be. For me and a half, I would go just water. What would you do, Ben? Just in a half marathon, would you be taking nutrition or would you probably just go with what you did beforehand? I'd just go with water. Yep. And so for us, that's, that is in part dependent on our time that we're going to be out there. I would have no problem, even if you were running at my pace, if you took a, a gel somewhere near the middle just to get a little more kick there. I don't think I could breathe if I did that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, the, that's why you practice, so that you can work on digesting those things so that you know how to get them down because it can be hard to do. And if you're a person who's going to stop and walk at like a water station, that's when you want to take these, when it's, again, easier to digest. So if, if you're in, thinking about in a half marathon, you're going to be out there for an extended period of time, you might want to think about maybe mile, say, five and nine are spots where you might want nutrition. The marathon, you probably want to get your first nutrition in before the 10-mile mark for most average folks. You might feel great to that point. You might feel great to 13, to 15. Get something in you while you still feel great. Remember that your stored fuel sources for most folks are not going to get you beyond 18 or 20 miles for the average, even above average runner. You have to replace fuels. You can't use just fats forever. You're going to dip into glycogen and you have to be ready to replace that stuff while you move to have the most success possible because the bonk at mile 18, 20, 22, wherever it is because you're out of fuel is miserable and most people are going to experience it at some point in their career. That is the greatest learning experience. It is not a failure. It's just a tool for you to get ready for the next attempt to learn something so that you can be even better next time you get out there. After the race, or after a long run in your training, Mr. Bojangles, what would you consume after you finish a really quality workout or a race? Gosh, the better question is, what wouldn't I consume? (laughs) Um, But I tend to like something like a heartier meat, honestly, Mm. Uh, like a a red meat. Uh, Even if I'm done long running at like... 9 a.m. I'll be craving a steak. Look at this carnivore who was who was a vegan like a month ago. <laughs> All he wants is red meat. That's beautiful. Protein, iron, those kind of things. Yep. Let's think about some simple rules for right afterward. If possible, right after, within this window of maybe a half an hour, we want to get something that has a great ratio of carbs to protein. Somewhere around three carbs per one protein that can help replenish what you have lost while you've run and help rebuild some of that muscle that you have essentially torn up while 
in this very difficult effort. I'm a simple chocolate milk guy a lot of times. It has a pretty good balance on the ratio. And then it's the within the two to three hour out window, that's when the bigger meal happens. Like you're talking about you know, maybe it's a steak, something like that. You don't have to do that immediately. Know that you have a window, but that window does close on you. You don't want to wait eight hours. But for some folks, you just feel a little uneasy, maybe in your stomach after you've done a really long run or a really long workout. And so waiting a little longer before you get that bigger meal could work for you. Just make sure you're getting in the carbs and protein you need so that you can bounce back, you can recover for the next effort, and be ready to continue on with your training. So, for example, I like chocolate milk. If you're using a product like Tailwind with your running, they do a rebuild recovery product, uh, vanilla and chocolate flavors that's really popular. And it's got a pretty nice carb-to-protein ratio, and that's something that you would want to get in within maybe 30 minutes after your activity and then go to the bigger meal after. Now, after the race... Once I've done that first 30 minute, get some stuff back in the system, I want to just splurge and and eat whatever. And you've earned it at that point. Go get that burger. Go get a milkshake. I love that one. Go get 10 burgers. Go get get 10 burgers. You glutton. Uh, I can't wait. I'm racing in California, and I'm probably going to hit the In-N-Out burger and get the burger and the shake. The shake is so good. uh, It's just delightful. So have fun with that. Enjoy it. Live. And also, don't be afraid during your training to have those cheats, too, where it's a month out and, you know, we're not professionals. We want to be our best, but it's okay to enjoy life and to take a break from it. And for me, maybe it's it's chocolate or it's pizza or it's a burger. And and that that's part of the training, too. You know, it, it's okay to embrace the entire process and enjoy it the whole way through. And I think if you get maniacal about it and everything gets measured out to a T and you eliminate all these things that you like from your life, you're not going to enjoy this marathon or half marathon experience and you're not going to want to do it again. And that's what we want. We want people who love running, love life, and you can carry that with you if you just have some food you like every once in a while. It's okay. And especially when you've earned it, don't use the long run as an excuse to just ruin your diet. But at times you need to cheat. It's okay. Let's move to some night before tips. Okay. It's the night before the race. A few things to think about. Ben, what are some ideas people may want to to do the night before to make it easier on them the day of? Yeah, I'd go ahead and lay out my clothes. Yes, absolutely. Get the race clothes. The full kit is out. Your seconds flat podcast singlet is out. There's nothing cooler than waking up and seeing your singlet and your shorts there, and you're like, I'm going to battle. This Um, is awesome. I am ready to race. What else might you do? Uh, You might want to go ahead and pin your bib on your singlet. Yep. Um, I always do it the night before. Get it taken care of. I actually save mine for the day of because... I get so antsy and fidgety. I don't want to go run off and do something stupid. Yeah. So it gives me a task to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, If you're using nutrition, go ahead and set that out. Make sure you have everything. Get it all laid out. Get it counted. Get it lined up. Make sure if you're carrying it in your pockets or in your fuel belt or whatever it is, your your pack, you've made sure everything fits and that you can use that. Um, Next. If you're using an anti-chafe lubricant. Yes. uh, Go ahead. Set that out. Um, You can go ahead and apply that on your clothes. 
Yes, you may want to hit the seams on your shorts, for example, right, so that you don't get any rubbing there. A product like Squirrel's Nut Butter that we love is fantastic. Have that out ready so that you don't forget to use that. The next morning, you're going to know your problem spots. Maybe you get a little chafe on the inner thighs. Maybe it's the nips, whatever it might be for you. Yeah, and say you're flying to a race, I'd also put your race kit and your racing shoes in your carry-on bag. Oh, that is beautiful. And your nutrition. Make sure you have the stuff that you know you need to race. If you are packing bags, keep that stuff as close to you as you possibly can. Carry that stuff on. What else, Ben? So that's all tangible items you can go ahead and set out and have with you and things you can take care of that way. But you also have this mental game you need to take care of. And it looks different from individual to individual. Um, some people have to get in the zone the night before and go ahead and like get focused and do visualization and kind of run through their race and what the morning's going to look like in their head. I personally need to not think about that stuff or I just get so much anxiety thinking about it. I actually like to go to a driving range and hit golf balls. What an athlete. Um, it just gets my mind off it. It's fun, lighthearted. I can get out some frustration if I need to. <laughs> yeah. But you're not always able to do something like that. Um, I know the Northern Arizona cross-country team, we reference them all the time. They will go and play like laser tag mm -hmm. the night before races, just something to keep you occupied. The worst thing you can do is harp on things going one way over and over and over, and then you show up race day and it's a little bit different. And then you're thrown into this unknown and you freak out about it. Yeah, I remember I had a really good um, high school team, a boys team that I coached one year and had a great performance at the state championship. And the day before we went out to jog the course just because you want to be familiar with it. And those goofballs, we had a lot of guys who had come from other sports, fairly athletic group. And we were out playing football in the parking lot after we did our run through. And I know everybody there was thinking, what are these idiots doing playing football the day before the race but that was the kind of thing that we did before practice every day and it, it was just part of the routine it was fun it kept us loose that was a group that needed to be loose they knew what they were there to do and they knew that they were ready to run well and be successful and they absolutely did the next day and so you know hitting golf balls throwing a football around Whatever it might be for you that just kind of keeps you from getting too uptight. Uh, I will often end up laying around and watching other sports. That's, that's one that I get into. Like uh, My race will be a Sunday, and so I know I'll probably be watching some Saturday college football. Mm. Just to something that I, that I might enjoy, but I don't pay a ton of attention to, and it just kind of keeps my mind off everything that's going on. But I do like to also get to a place where I visualize some positive things for the race, where I hark back on good racing experiences, where I draw on positives, where I reflect on my training and know that I'm really ready to go. And I try to visualize myself going through certain parts of the course running really well like I think it would be a value for you maybe a day before or a couple day before activity if you don't know the course go out and drive the course know what that looks like and then you can visualize yourself in that space running really well 
visualize yourself coming through the finish line. I tend not to visualize a time on the clock when I come through the finish line because I don't want to put an expectation. I don't want to limit it. But I do like to visualize, visualize myself coming through really happy about a race and really positive about what just happened. Those are all really great night before ideas. Morning of for the workout, we mentioned the shakeout run could be really valuable for you. A lot of elites are going to do it. But a warm-up to me for a half marathon and a marathon look very, very different. Ben, your racing experience, like college distance racing, what kind of warm-up did you do? Yeah, so about 45 minutes out, uh, I would go on a a two-and-a-half-mile run. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care about pace until the last two minutes. And then I'd get down to about a tempo pace, um, get a little sweaty. Yeah. Then we'd have grease the skids. We'd have a yes. We'd have a little bit of time to go use the restroom or slip out of our tights or anything we needed to do, like that. Um, and then I'd run through my plyometrics and drills. Yeah. Uh, activate little things, and then I'd just do a couple of hard strides off of the line. Mm-hmm. No more than probably four yeah. 100 meter strides, and I'd work up to like mile pace. Just feel a little snappy. Yep. So that right there looks not too far off from what I might recommend for a half marathon for someone pushing for time. If you're just trying to run the distance, there's no need to do all that because you're taking a lot of energy you might need for the race. So for someone chasing time in a half marathon, trying to run a personal best, that's not too different from what I might recommend. My half marathon warm-up is fairly long and looks a lot like it would for a 5K or a 10K. It's not quite as long at half marathon, but I'm gonna do an easy jog. Uh, I I tend to be a two warm-up kind of guy, and Ben and I have talked about this a lot. Um, I have a theory about a really easy shuffle first, and then kind of get back, maybe do some really light like leg swings and that kind of stuff, and then go to a second warm-up that's just a bit faster, but it's still not fast. Uh, one thing we share here is I will end with maybe it's even just a long stride or it's a couple minutes at the end of the warm-up where you get down to like a tempo pace, like a half marathon pace, just to, to get that feeling. Awaken the systems that you want to for the race that you're going into. I don't need to run 100 meters as hard as I can. That doesn't benefit my race. But something a little more up-tempo could be valuable to you. In a marathon, I'm not going anywhere near that whether you're just trying to finish the distance or you're chasing time. The most I am going to warm up before a marathon, even when I'm going out trying to run my best, fastest race, it might be a mile or so. And honestly, that's a little bit more than I typically do. I've done a really short shakeout a few hours out, and you know it might just be a half a mile. Who knows what it is for you? I'm going to come back and warm up, and I'm jogging again very, very lightly for a very short amount of time. But what I really want to be able to do is just try to get a few drills in so that I can loosen up. Some stuff that I can just feel loose. I may get a couple strides, but it's not a huge concern to me. It just really depends on what kind of space you have, honestly. But getting one or two to feel loose could be good for you. And keep it short. We don't want to use it all up. To some degree, the beginning of the marathon race is a continuation of your warm-up. The first few miles, we kind of just gradually build into marathon pace, and we can get ourselves loose during the race. Now, I don't want to just go into it cold. 
I don't want to just stand around because I don't want to give away too much time at the beginning. But that approach could work for you also in a half marathon if you're not as accustomed to the distance and you're not as focused on being really, really fast. Just doing enough to get you loose would be really valuable so that you come out of the gates and you're not stiff and you're not tight. We have already run way over what we expected to do tonight on the time. So we are not going to get into pacing and strategy tips and some of the recovery stuff for afterward. We're going to do that at a later date. We promise we will come back to it. It might be on our next episode. We are definitely on the next episode going to give you a preview of the Chicago Marathon. And we are going to give you a wrap-up of the first really big weekend in NCAA cross-country. It is the Nutty Comb Invite at Wisconsin, which holds even more significance this year. Why is that, Benny? It's where the NCAA championships will be hosted. They are hosting NCAA championship in Madison on this same course. So we'll give you a wrap-up of what happens there because we'll have a little bit of an idea of how things are shaking out and what the competition looks like for a national championship this fall. So we'll do that next time. Great discussion of some pre-race stuff tonight. And we look forward to seeing you again really soon on the Seconds Flat Podcast. Remember, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your questions or comments. We loved last week answering your thoughts. And we got a lot more emails after that, too, with people following up. So it's a lot of fun for us. And we would be happy to touch on your topics right here. Also, if you're looking for that coaching or training plan, do not hesitate to email. We love working on those as well. Take care. We'll see you soon. Benjamin? Adios. Farewell.